to the UNT BSM audio resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to untbsm.com. Thanks for listening. There has been some really, really hard seasons and some seasons when my doubts were significantly greater than my faith. And I didn't know what to do with that, mainly because no one in church talked about it. And I never got to hear anyone from the stage talk about their struggles, their fighting to believe, and all of these things. So that's why I'm willing to do it. Because you need to hear it from someone like me. You need to know that God is bigger than anything we may face. And he can handle everything that we go through and every question that we throw at him and every emotion that we throw at him. And so I want you to know that. And so like I said, my faith, while I wish my story was a little different, didn't always come easy to me. Growing up, I just was not the most emotional child. Um, And part of that is just the family that I grew up in. Um, And so because of that, I would hear all these other stories of people talking about this great experience that they had or this emotional connection they felt with the Lord. And so comparison really rocked me. All I knew was that what I was hearing other people share about was not necessarily my story. And I didn't know what to do with that. And so comparison really led me into this struggle where I was questioning if my faith was as real as others. And so that was happening really in my teenage years. And so I didn't know what to do with that. How do you respond? What does this mean when, I, when what I'm experiencing doesn't match everybody else's? So let's fast forward a couple of years. I grew up in an upper middle class family. My dad is a doctor. He's retired now. I used to say he was a doctor, and then I realized they don't take that away from you when you stop working. So my dad is a doctor. Um, So he worked uh, in the medical field. And so because of that, he was able to provide for our needs. He was able to honestly provide for most of our wants. And I never knew what it was like to not have what I needed until about 15 years old. My dad joined a doctor organization, this group, and because of some legal things that went down, all of a sudden my my mom worked for my dad as well. And so their financial assets, everything got frozen for about a year while they were trying to figure out everything. And so that meant my brother and I had to then go work. So I was working at Chick-fil-A while going to school as a sophomore in high school and playing basketball just to help put food on our table. And I remember watching everything that my parents were going through and thinking, why? What is the purpose of this? What are you doing? And I just remember feeling like my prayers were just going unanswered. I was hitting a ceiling. And then we ended up having to move so my dad could start his practice all over. So we moved the day before my junior year of high school. Can you imagine what that's like? Well, let me tell you what it was like. I was not happy. I was very, very angry, and all I knew was that everything that I had felt provided some stability was now being taken away. So we moved to this small town. I don't know what I'm getting myself into. We get there, we're starting over, and here I am in this situation where really for the first time in my life, I'm starting to doubt the goodness of God. I'm starting to doubt his trustworthiness. And honestly, I'm just starting to doubt, is this even something I want to be a part of if he would let my family go through this? If only I had known then how big of a deal that wasn't, right? 
Was it hard? Absolutely. And in those moments, I realized just because my comfort got taken away, as I look back, I can say, like, man, my faith was not where it needed to be. It was pretty shallow if comfort is the one thing that's going to rock me. That doesn't mean what I went through was, hard, was not hard. It was. And so let's fast forward now. I just wanted to give you that story to say doubt has been a part of my story since I was 16. I'm very analytical. I like to figure things out. I do critical thinking. You know, they teach you that in school. And so I look at something, and I want to pick it apart and figure it out, and God made my brain that way. So much so that it makes a lot of sense with what I do here, and, you know, I'm pursuing a Ph.D., and all of those things, it becomes very handy in those worlds. But when it comes to faith in things you cannot see, that's not the easiest thing for me. And so I want to tell you about the last eight years of my life. I think I need to remind you I was working here. I was a vocational minister, right? Like, you're a director, and here I am in a situation that I never, ever expected. And I didn't know what to do. And what hurt even more was no one in my life knew what to do either. So, let me tell you my story. About eight years ago, I got a phone call. I was sitting at my house. My dad calls, and I can hear the panic in their voice. My mom, I can hear her in the background. And all I know, my parents and my brother live, lived in Corpus Christi, so they're about seven-ish hours away. And I get this phone call that they're taking my brother via ambulance to the hospital, and they don't know what's going on. So come to find out, he ended up getting a traumatic brain injury, which is called a TBI, frontal lobe in injury, similar to what would happen if someone was in a car accident. But my brother wasn't in a car accident. We were trying to figure out what happened. Well, a few weeks before that, his best friend shot himself. And my brother is, was not a Christian um, and did not know how to handle that. And so the doctor put him on some medicine to help him sleep. We believe that when he took the medication, probably mixed it with some alcohol and fell, and that's how he, basically how the brain injury happened, to the best of our ability. So I get this phone call, not knowing what this means, not knowing if I need to start packing my bag to run home, and my dad just says, stay put, we'll let you know. Well, that's one of the hardest things ever, right? All you know is your family's in crisis, there's something going on, and my dad has just said, stay put. And he's like, I'll let you know in the morning. Can you imagine how much sleep I got that night? Because I really, I don't know what's going on. I just know I can hear my brother screaming in the background as he's being wheeled out from the house to an ambulance. I find out the next day that it was the TBI. And I don't know if any of you have ever had someone in your family experience a brain injury, but it's awful. He was no longer the person that he was. Uh, he and I have always had a very difficult relationship. Um, I'm the oldest. He was two years younger than me. And then I have another brother who's about six and a half years younger than I am. And so Scott, um, our relationship was always very complicated. To him, I was the perfect child he could never live up to because I was such a type A people person. And he was the rebel. I'm going to do whatever I can to get whatever attention I want. And I don't care what anybody thinks. And so we just butted heads growing up. But he was still my brother, you know. It didn't matter how complicated our relationship was. He was in the hospital. And that mattered to me. And I wanted to be there. So I find out what's going on. Brain injuries happen. And 
that injury, especially frontal lobe injuries, it leads to drastic changes in your personality. So my brother was never the same again. Um, he would get violent. He would get, um, he didn't understand excess. So like that part of his brain had been shut off. We would see that because he would go online and buy all kinds of things on Amazon. And it was like 15 boxes showed up at once. It was like he just didn't know when enough was enough. And that, that filtered into every aspect of his life. And so what that meant was it was very dangerous for all of us around him. We didn't know what was going to happen. So I would go and visit, not knowing what was going to happen. Literally, my dad would say, make sure you lock the door to the bedroom at night. Because we didn't know. Was he going to be Scott or was he going to be somebody else? And because of that, and because of a lot of circumstances, like I said, it's not just my story, so I'm not going to go into all of his story out of respect for him. But because of what was going on, he ended up in the hospital, I don't even know how many times. I spent more days than anyone should sitting in an ICU room not knowing if my brother would ever wake up just because of some choices that he was making. And during that time, I'm trying to walk with my parents to try to figure out how do I help them maneuver this. Well, they, I can't imagine what it's like to see your son like that. I know what it's like to see a brother. And so I would step into that role of I've got to take care of everything. And so I would make sure that I knew what was happening at the hospital. I would go home and take care of everything at the house. All at the same time, I'm watching my parents deteriorate before my eyes. My mom had early onset dementia. And what happened is as everything with my brother got worse, she got worse. And then we saw a lot of things starting to happen with my dad. And his health it just started to decline significantly. So the family that I grew up with no longer existed. There was one time in particular, Scott attacked my dad. That happened a couple of different times. And so I'm getting phone calls telling me about this. And I remember hanging up the phone, and this just shows how wicked our hearts can be. My first thought was not grief of what happened, but my thought was, if something happens to my dad, who's going to take care of me? You know, here I was. I just got married last year. So I was single for a long time, up to 39. And I, in my mind, I didn't know this, but my dad was my backup plan. If something happens to my dad, all of a sudden there was this um, a crazy amount of fear and in that moment, I realized that my hope was not in God. My hope was in the fact that my dad could bail me out if I needed his money. Okay? And so throughout these circumstances, all I can say is I was struggling to believe that God was good. Because with what was going on, how could he be good? I was struggling to believe, well, honestly, I, like, I just remember going back through my journals and saying, how could you be this mean? How could you let this happen? How could you let this happen again? How could this have happened? And at the same time, and I understand, we go through difficult times, but we usually aren't stuck there for a long time, right? I was stuck there for years. And so the people in my life at first were trying to invest and help me figure this out and to walk with me, but it got so hard that all of a sudden all of my friends and the people at my church distanced themselves because they didn't know what to do. Because when someone lives in trauma, which is what I was doing, for that many years, 
that's hard for everybody. And so not only was I angry with the Lord, I, did, I was like, how can you be good? And I, like I said, I just remember telling him how mean he was. And then all of the people that are supposed to be supporting me and helping me walk through this were gone. What do you do in those moments? Right? And so I remember sitting there saying, Jesus, you have to show up. If you're real, you have to show up. And I remember being really honest with the students during that time. Becca and Mary might have been here, I can't remember. But I remember sitting up here and saying, I need to tell you that right now, today, I'm struggling to believe that God is good. Right now, today, you know? And so as we continued to walk through that, a year and a half ago about, uh, my brother passed away. So he, um, my parents were out of town, and um, he ended up dying of a pulmonary embolism, which is a blood clot in your lung, so it traveled to his heart. And so he, we didn't know. Like, there had been so many health things that were going on, we had no idea until we got the autopsy of what, uh, how he had died. And that happened the week COVID hit, okay? So my fiance and I are trying to figure out how do we get down there, what do we do? So we run down, I did my brother's funeral. Um, it's the only funeral I've ever done. But I did it because so many of my family are not Christian and I wanted them to hear from me. As I was preaching to myself about the goodness of God, I wanted them to hear it too. Okay, so that's that part of the story. But here's where it gets even more fun. <laughs> Fun's a strong word. I want to tell you the next part that overlaps with it, okay? A little over two years, well, actually about three years ago, I started to notice some really physical things that were not normal. And I just kind of dismissed it, um, thinking that it was, I have weird allergies, so I just assumed that the things that I was noticing that were happening to my body must have just been allergies. So I went into probably the strictest elimination diet you could ever do, thinking I'm going to fix this on my own. All the same time, everything that's happening with my family is happening, right? So then I end up going, finally realizing after about six months, I can't fix this. So that July, I go to one doctor. She's like, I have no idea what this is. That's never good when a doctor tells you that. So she says, so I'm going to cut out this piece of your skin, and we're going to send it out, and we're going to see if we can figure this out. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I go back in for another appointment. She tells me, okay, it came back as this. I'm not so sure what we need to do. So I called my dad, told him, and he said, you need to go see this other specialist. And so I said, okay, make an appointment. Um, from that day, though, with the first specialist, they started to put me on a high dose of steroids. And so I was on a high dose of steroids for about eight weeks, uh, which your body is not made for that. Um, and so, in the midst of everything that's happening with my family, I now go, and in fact, I'm at the doctor's office. Uh, they've just sent me back to get lab work done. I'm sitting there. I had to fill 12 of those vials of blood. Like, yeah, I didn't think there was anything left in me. And as I'm sitting there about to go in to get that done, I get a phone call from my dad. Your brother was just in a car accident. He's being taken to the hospital. Like, that was our normal I hated every time my dad called because I didn't know it was going to be on the other end. But I can't think about that right now. I've got to go in and go do all this. 
And so then, as we were waiting for all the blood work to come back, the doctor had told me, we don't know what's causing this. We need to figure out. I had basically had these symptoms, but we didn't want to just treat the symptoms. We wanted to say, okay, what's causing it? And so for a good while, the thought was I probably had leukemia. And so I had to come and sit in front of the group of students two years ago. And as you can tell, I've told you I have to sit when I talk. Physically, I am not capable of standing and talking right now. And that is a product of the prednisone, those steroids that they put me on. So fast forward, the medication that was supposed to fix the main issue has now wrecked my body. My heart doesn't work the way it's supposed to anymore. My lungs don't work, work the way they're supposed to anymore. So I have seen, my husband and I joke that we have every kind of specialist you could possibly want. You just let us know, we can hook you up. So I went from a dermatologist to a rheumatologist to a pulmonologist, to first cardiologist, to second cardiologist, and now to a neurologist where I go in a couple of weeks. So in the midst of all of this, I have had to wrestle through who is God? What is going on? Why is this happening? Why is my body no longer acting the way it's supposed to? Why is the family that I know, have known, gone? And I had to wrestle and wrestle and wrestle with that. I hate the fact that before we even get started on Thursday nights, if you've noticed, I sit back in my office. It's because I can't control my body temperature. And I can sit next to a fan, and that'll help keep me cool for a little while because heat actually makes things really difficult for my body, okay? And so if you ever, I have joked that I have a little handheld fan that I kind of carry around with me. And I thought about even just sticking it up here, but I was afraid it'd be too distracting. But it might happen, just so you know. So here I am. My body has completely betrayed me. And I've had to ask the Lord, why? What are you doing? What is going on? And so I remember sitting, I used to have a recliner in my bedroom, and that was like my reading chair. And I remember sitting there pulling out my Bible, and even just think, I don't even want to read this. I don't even want to pray. But I got to figure something out. And so I started off at that point, I was just telling a student that I met with um, earlier this week that across the top of this page, I just said, what do you want to say to me? And so I would set an alarm, like a timer on my phone for five minutes and just would sit there. Because I was like, God, if you're real, you got to show up. In the first couple of days, five minutes was really hard <laughs> to just sit there and be quiet. But then he started to speak. And I would just write down what came to mind. And then I noticed that the five minutes went on to ten minutes. And it's the first time in my life that I could ever remember hearing the voice of God. It was not audible. Obviously, it was in my head. But I just sat there and I wrote these things down. And one of the things that said is, who is Jesus to you? You see, I grew up in church. I've known this name. I've known who he is, right? And I would say we've had a relationship. But right then and there, I just started to say, okay, Jesus, who are you? And so I dove into scripture. I just said, I need to know who you are, and do you understand? Are you here? And you see, everything else in my life that provided support 
and what I would have thought would be um, the help that I would want to look towards had been removed, right? My family, I couldn't really call them for help as I'm trying to figure things out. My best friend who had been living in my house with me had moved away. My other friends, the ones I was closest to, didn't really live here in Denton. Things with my church, I'd, I had to change churches because it just wasn't healthy. And so I, in that moment, God had said, like I can, I vividly remember him saying like, what's left? And so I opened my Bible and I just started to flip through the different stories to say, who is Jesus? And that's a long introduction. But I say all of that to tell you that question that we put on the screen was not just a, a flippant question. Who is Jesus to you? Because you need to rethink that. Is he just a character in the Bible? Or is he something else? And so as I started to really dive into that, with my counselors, because I was seeing some, some counselors just to help me process everything that was happening, we started to really define in my life who my Jesus was and who the Jesus of the Bible was. And all of it was the foundation that I already knew. But it, this is when Jesus became my best friend. This is when I started to understand that everything that he had done, I knew it was for me, but I didn't know it inside of me that way. Does that make sense? And so I started to read stories. And, like, I, I'm not even reading my notes, so let me pull up these passages. Um, I found John 11, where it says, uh, it's the story when Lazarus dies. And it talks about how he wept because he had lost someone. And that resonated with me. Jesus knows what loss feels like. He grieved, you know. He knew he could bring him back to life, but that did not change or take away the pain of loss. And then I end up reading a story in Matthew 26. We're going to get to the part that we're going to dive in together in a minute. But Matthew 26 is when he's in the garden crying out to the Lord. Is this what I have to do? when he's in agony about dying for us. And just the grief that he must have felt in that moment. And so as I'm finding stories like that and then realizing, I felt all alone. But there were some, some stories in the Bible that were pretty parallel to what I was experiencing too. And that, in a weird way, made Jesus... Not only God, but that human experience that he had, that brought me so much comfort. To know that not only is he my savior, but he knows. And not just because he knows what I'm going through, but because he walked it too. And so we're going to look at Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. If you use one of the BSM Bibles, um, it's on page 570. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that as our gift to you. And I want to go through this quickly because I'm already over my time. But this is called the Hymn of Christ. And what we see here, Philippians is a letter written by Paul to the church in Philippi. 
And this passage is Paul's hope for his readers to look at Jesus' example of love and humility and obedience. And so let's read this together, starting in verse 5 of chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So I want to walk us through this, and I'm going to tie it up a little bit at the end. You see, before the incarnation of Jesus, and that's just a fancy way of saying, before Jesus became a man, it says he was in the form of God. So what this is telling, in fact, Ben talked about it when he was introing worship, that Jesus has always been. This is referring to Christ's preexistence as the Son of God. And so Paul is telling his readers that Jesus possesses all of God's qualities and characteristics. So he's saying everything that you know about God, Jesus is the same. And so what he's getting at, he's like, but... While Jesus is God, he was willing to sacrifice his equality with God and his privileges to become a servant to us, to all of mankind. So when Jesus became man, you need to understand, this doesn't mean that he lost his divine attributes. Rather, he made himself nothing when he became a man. This is the fancy theological way of explaining this is a term called condescension. So when he, this condescension is his position of, of weakness for the sake of sinful mankind. So what he's saying is he lowered himself for us. And he did it all out of love and humility and obedience to God the Father. You see, not only was he willing to take on human form, but he was obedient to death on a cross. And so Paul writes that Jesus' willingness to become a man is the ultimate display of his obedience to God the Father. And I think it's important for us to understand that God, Jesus, made himself a man. Have you thought about that and like what that means for us? Jesus knows what we walked through. Jesus knows the hardships, the joys, the things that we experience. He's experienced them too. And his act of humbling himself on the cross out of love demonstrates his divine nature of, that he shares with God as it is displaying his love to us. And so I want you to just take a minute and rethink Jesus. You see, I wish I didn't have to walk through tragedy to fall more in love with Jesus. But that's what it took. In fact, I was talking with my husband not too long ago, and I said, as much as I wish none of this had ever happened, I wouldn't change it. It revealed a lot of stuff that I needed to figure out. And so I'm 
while my physical body <laughs> is not doing great, I feel like a lot of other areas, I've grown so much. Now, that still doesn't mean that I still don't struggle with trusting the Lord. Almost two weeks ago, my husband had to go in and have a, two brain scans and two abdominal scans done, CT scans. And we had to wait all weekend to find out if he had a tumor in his brain. And again, I'm praying the same prayers I was praying before. Why? Are you good? Why this? Why now? Thankfully, we found out that next Tuesday, so a little over a week and a half ago. It's not a brain tumor. There are other things that are going on. And so now we've added a few more specialists to our list, our combined list. And he can't work now, so he's off for at least the next couple of weeks. And you see, something else that I've had to learn about myself is I, you know that song, Prone to Wander, Lord, I Feel It, Prone to Leave the God I Love. You familiar with that song? I have found that I need visible reminders often to draw me back. And so that Saturday, um, or is it Sunday? I don't know. It was either Saturday or Sunday. I walked into my husband's office, and I just said, hey, I've decided I'm going to get another tattoo. Uh, and he was like, what? Um, so I have three. This one right here represents, I got it right after my brother died. So the two on the line are myself and my other brother and Scott flying away. This one's a long story, but I'll be glad to tell you. And my husband was just like, oh, okay, um, what do you want? And I told him what I wanted. And then I went and I called the place where I have gone before. It usually takes months to get in. And they're like, oh, we can get you in at 6 o'clock tonight. And I was like, okay. So I signed up for it. I walked into my husband's office. I was like, hey, I'm going to go get a tattoo, and then I'll pick up dinner. So text me what you want. And he was like, what? Um, and he just laughs because he's like, when you make up your mind, you just do it. Um, and I laughed, and I said, well, yeah. You should know this about me. You married me. Um, but there's something about the mountains that remind me about the bigness of God. There's something, and a couple weeks before that, I had driven to Colorado Springs on a Sunday and drove home on a Monday. And the entire time I was making that drive, that just kept running through my mind, and just as I was praying. And so I got a tattoo of the mountains on my arm because I needed that visible reminder, because I knew within a day, after hearing all of this and just being scared about what could be wrong with Randall, I was like, I obviously have not got this all figured out. I need help remembering. Now, that's not me telling you to go get tattoos. Okay? In fact, I didn't get my first one until I was 39, so wait until then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get a phone call from an angry mom. Um, my BSM director said I should get a tattoo to remind me about Jesus. Um, no, I didn't. And we're recording this so I can prove it. Um, but that's what I knew in that moment I needed to do. And my husband just laughed and said, okay. I was like, text me your order to Cheddar's, and I'll pick it up on the way home. But even now, I'm wrestling with 
God, are you good? Remind me that you're good. You've proven to me before that you're good. I need you to prove it again. I need you to help me to believe this again. And so my hope is that as you sit here and rethink who Jesus is to you, I hope that you'll remember he's personal. He gave up his equality with God with me and you in mind. He experienced pain and suffering. We see that all throughout Scripture during his life and on the cross. And so he knows how I feel. He knows what I've experienced. In fact, he's experienced even more than I have. And remember his display of love and humility. He said that I was worth it. That you were worth it. And so as you rethink God, I just want to read this um, this quote that I found. Not only are we walking with grief beside us, but we're walking with Jesus beside us too. So as you go into your connect groups and you rethink who Jesus is to you, is he just a character on a page? Is he just someone whose picture you've seen hanging on a wall? Is he just someone in a story? Do you know he's son of God? So that's just kind of tucked in a pocket or a book somewhere? Or has he changed your life? I love the story in John 4 whenever he talks to the Samaritan woman. It completely rocks her world. And here's this woman who has been shamed and condemned by her community, running in back into town and telling everybody that they need to come and meet this Jesus that has changed her life. You see, you can't have an encounter with Jesus and not walk away somewhat changed. Have you had that encounter with him? So as we go into our groups, I hope that my story just lets you know it's okay to struggle. It's okay to tell God that he's mean. It's okay to wrestle with that. He can handle it. And from the great words of the theologian John Mayer. Heads popped up. That was a joke, but I'm going to quote some lyrics. He says, I'm in repair. I'm not together, but I'm getting there. That means it's okay to not be okay. But friends, let's not stay there. If you need help working through some things, if maybe you have a story similar to mine, or you're walking through crap too, Come talk to us. We would love to walk with you and to point you to Jesus if we can. But I want you to know there's nothing that you could say that's going to upset us. There's nothing that you could throw at me that's going to shock me. And so if you just need someone to walk with you through what life is throwing, we're here. Okay? Let me pray, and then we'll uh, split into your connect groups. Father, we're thankful for all of the ways that you love us, that you sent Jesus to walk this earth so that he knows everything that we have gone through. And Lord, we're thankful that all of those things, him dying on a cross, he did it with us in mind. And Lord, may you help us to remember that when life blows up, you're there. 
and that you're more than just a distant God. You're here. You know every detail. You care. You grieve with us. And Father, may everyone in here be thinking about who is Jesus to me? Do I believe not only that he is my Savior, that he came to reconcile me back to you because of sin, but how have, have my encounters with him changed my life? Have they? And if they haven't, Lord, I pray that you would just begin to, to do the work in their lives, Father. We're thankful for how you love us. And may our conversations in our groups just remind us of the goodness of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.